you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. We talk a lot about revolutionary car makers on this show, but rarely are those people actual revolutionaries. This is the story of Alejandro de Tomaso, who went from trying to overthrow the Argentine government to fixing race cars, to driving race cars, to making race cars, to owning Maserati. His absolutely crazy life crossed paths with everyone from Che Guevara to Elvis Presley. He failed at pretty much everything he tried, and yet he somehow managed to leave behind a legacy of innovative supercars that are still beloved by fans today. Today on Pass Gas, it's Day Tomaso. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Freaking Che Guevara and Elvis. Click, click, boom. You're the coolest dude. I heard uh, <laughs> Che Guevara helped write Jailhouse Rock with Elvis Presley. Whoa, because yeah, he was in jail for a minute. Elvis was like, I want to write a song about jail, but I have no experience with it. Can you help me? And Che Guevara rode up on his motorcycle and he was like, you know, I was in jail. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, all right. So one thing we do uh, in jail is we rock. Are you saying that jail rocks? Uh, eh, jails. Uh, I mean, jail doesn't rock all the time, but when we do a jailhouse rock, it's fun. It's fun AF, dude. And then they open all <laughs> the doors up and let the prisoners yeah. out to dance. Uh-huh. Yeah, and like, one for the money, two for the show. <laughs> Don't you step on my jailhouse rock. <laughs> wow. I didn't know you were such a, a Elvis impresario over you here. You can do anything but to step on my jailhouse rock. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know anything really about Elvis, so I, I couldn't catch you on that. I went to a party at the county jail. All the guys were there and doing good. Everybody <laughs> dancing like everything is cool and we like to say <laughs> let's rock. Don't <laughs> <Go> step <laughs> on my blue suede <laughs> shoes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, welcome back to Past Gas. You probably know this guy best from his uh, Pantera 
the daytime show Pantera, which well, we covered. D- yes, pass gas on dirt dime bag Daryl. Uh, on dime bag Daryl, <laughs> that's right. Uh, no, uh, we we covered the Pantera on um on uh our YouTube show Bumper to Bumper a little while ago. Anyway, so yeah, the daytime show Pantera, very cool '70s AF supercar. Uh, but the guy uh, Alejandro de Tomaso, he um. He had a lot more cars, as we'll see, and a lot of them were very cool. So uh, we're going to explore his life today. The one that you got up and close and personal with was Elvis's personal car. As long as we're talking about Elvis. The hubba hubba king himself. Bahubba bubba king, yeah. And he shot it. And he (laughs) shot his steering wheel. That's right. Well, now you spoiled the story. So anyway, my name is Nolan Sykes. Joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Joe Weber. Bird up. And James Pumphrey. Bing, bing, bing. Oh, new chainsaw. Yeah, uh, it's Halloween, cool. baby. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> I'm Jason. Bing, 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 bing. I'm wearing a suit today. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's call out that elephant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is not casual Friday for me, no. Uh, I just felt like, you know what, Alejandro? He, he's, a, uh, he's a wheeler and a dealer. He always he's he always had a cool suit on. So I was looking at all these pictures of Alejandro as I was going through the script and just figured, hey, you know what? Why not pay homage to the man by dressing in my best H and M suit? And when else are you gonna wear a suit during this pandemic? It's the perfect time. Exactly. You know, I haven't classed it up in a while. So, Alejandro, this is for you, man. Alejandro de Tomaso Isabelos was born in 1928 to Antonio de Tomaso the son of humble Italian immigrants who became a high-ranking politician in Argentina. Uh, Alejandro's mother came from the wealthy Ceballos family of cattle ranchers, so young Alejandro was raised among the Argentine upper crust. It was here that he first met Che Guevara, who was the son of his mother's good friend and Alejandro's childhood playmate. Wait, so Che Guevara was a rich kid? Sounds like it. In general, Joe... If you've heard of them, they were a rich kid. But after Alejandro's father passed away in 1943 at the tender age of 38, oh, 15-year-old, yeah, young, uh, 15-year-old Alejandro dropped out of school so he could learn to run the family ranch. And by age 20, he was fully in charge of the many De Tomaso ranchos. Young Alejandro was known for being a headstrong and arrogant man of many interests. Traits he would carry with him throughout his life. In 1945, he bought his first race car, a modified Bugatti Type 35. Hell yeah. Over the next decade, he struggled as a semi-pro racer, and it would take until 1954 for him to have major success when he won his class at the 1,000 kilometers of Buenos Aires driving a Maserati A6. In the meantime, he helped found Clarín, a Argentine newspaper that still exists today. He initially wrote the economy section of the paper in which he began railing against the regime of Argentine dictator Juan Perón. Oh, Avita's boyfriend. Who was both a personal friend and political enemy of Alejandro's father. You might have heard of Perón if you've seen the 1996 Madonna film Avita, as James pointed out. Unfortunately for Alejandro, he did cry for Argentina in his paper and as a result was arrested and sentenced to home confinement. Oh, I wonder what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't stop him from political dissent. In 1955, he demonstrated his irrational confidence in the face of long odds 
and helped plot an attempt to overthrow Perón. But the plot was discovered before it was put in motion, and Alejandro fled for his life. According to a story he told later in life, he piloted his own plane from Argentina to Uruguay, where he arrived with his wife at the time and two suit two suitcases, excuse me, full of cash. Political revolutionary dude owns a bunch of ranches, flies his own plane, two suitcases full of cash. Of course, he's the type of guy where you got to say his wife at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah we know he's he's gonna have a few of these yeah but th- dude uh, like i've i'm i forgot that we're talking about a car guy because this is so like crazy yeah i mean at this point he's only like owned race cars and that's kind of it but i mean what how old is he now 20 he's like nolan's age he's not even 30 he's 27 i don't have a plane yeah, you can't even fly a plane. You don't even have one suitcase full of cash. Dude, you never even tried to overthrow one government before. Uh, that's true. That is true. I am confident that I could fly a plane, though. What? Yeah. Fly a plane. Okay, all right, you, smart you think guy. You, could take it off, you think you could take it off you take off and land it? I think landing would be the problem. Uh, I would have to have someone in the tower instruct mm-hmm. me on how to land. Apparently, that's happened a few times. Not even in the plane with you? Yeah. Launch the quack over here. Hey. Tell me, tell me where where you would find yaw control on the floor. God, you got me. <laughs> Checks out. <laughs> Here's the keys. That's how you get that yaw, and then you got your yoke, and you could you uh, get the roll with the wheel, pull back and forward, get that pitch. Yeah, um, there, it's called a talk down landing. A talk-down landing may be attempted in the event of the death or incapacitation of an aircraft pilot. It involves a passenger or other unqualified person flying the aircraft to a landing with assistance from radioed instructions either from the ground or a nearby aircraft. I mean, I'm not saying I want to try to do a (laughs) talk-down landing right now. (laughs) Anyway, Alejandro and his wife at the time eventually made their way to Modena, Italy, Alejandro's ancestral home where they moved into Modena's finest hotel, the Canal Grande. Alejandro and his wife, uh, they're at the hotel until those suitcases they had ran out of money, at which point the hotel kicked Alejandro out because he couldn't pay his bill. How rude. Uh, How rude. He may have been broke, but he didn't lack confidence. His parting words to the hotel management were that someday he would buy the whole place. But first... Alejandro needed to make some money. He managed to get a job as a mechanic for OSCA, an Italian racing team in nearby Bologna that was founded by Ernesto Ettore and Bindo Maserati. The Maserati brothers knew of Alejandro's racing experience because uh, he raced one of their cars in South America, and they just quickly promoted him to factory driver. For the next several years, uh, Alejandro worked in both the factory and on the track for OSCA, with mixed results. He won a few class victories, including the 12 hours of Sebring and the 24 hours of Le Mans, but his attempt to break into Formula One failed miserably as he failed to reach the podium in in four F1 races. I don't know if I'd say that's failed yeah, miserably. That's just... but That's not failed miserably. That's like most guys. That's like... Most racers on the grid right now. A con. More important... For Alejandro's future prospects, however, was his chance meeting with an American heiress named Isabel Haskell at the parts counter of the OSCA factory. Hmm. Haskell 
was the granddaughter of one of the founders of General Motors and was touring the factory as one of the few female race car drivers in the world who was then competing against men. They hit it off, and in 1957, Haskell became Alejandro de Tomaso's second wife and occasional racing teammate. That's um, teammates on and off the track yeah, and she, in life. Yeah, she raced uh, cars, but also she was known as New Jersey's horse racing queen. Whoa. And she's a snack. <laughs> she, she looks like an heiress. You know? You do. In the midst of all this, De Tomaso was proving to be a skilled and influential string puller. In the mid-50s, he convinced the president of Cuba, Fulgencio Batista. Ooh, a nice pronunciation. To organize a Grand Prix. Thank you, Joe. Grand Prix in the streets of Havana. Batista hoped that the event would attract American tourists and show that he was still in control of the country despite a rising communist wave led by Fidel Castro and Che Guevara, Alejandro's childhood pal. The initial race in 1957 went off without a hitch with De Tomaso's friend and countryman, the world-famous Argentinian driver Juan Manuel Fangio, Fangio, Fangio taking the checkered flag. But the return engagement in 1958 wouldn't be so smooth. On the eve of the race, communist rebels appeared in the lobby of Alejandro's hotel and kidnapped Fangio at gunpoint. Alejandro later told people that he would have saved Fangio but Guevara himself appeared in his hotel room to promise they wouldn't harm the driver. Castro and Guevara hoped to embarrass Batista by forcing the last-minute cancellation of the Grand Prix. A Cuban president refused to cancel, but the ensuing race was marred by an accident that killed seven spectators, unfortunately. Meanwhile, Fangio was released with a personal apology from Castro Lieutenant Faustino Perez, and Castro got the headlines he wanted. By 1959, Batista had fled Cuba, and Castro had taken control of the government. Alejandro's brainchild, the Cuban Grand Prix, would only be run once more in 1960 before the new government canceled it entirely. I would love to go to this. I like it'd be so cool to be in Cuba for this Grand Prix in like 1957 before it got super crazy. That'd be a great setting for a spy movie. Yeah. The Cuban Grand Prix? Nobody else do that. We're doing that. Perhaps this second brush with revolution convinced Alejandro to live a more placid life. Because in 1959, he and Isabel retired from driving to found their very own racing company. De Tomaso Modena Spa. More likely the decision was because Alejandro's relationship with the Maseratis had soured as he was frustrated by the design limitations that they imposed at OSCA. Oscar. So he left to focus on mid-engine race cars with funding from Isabel's family. You know, a man's got to be great to marry an heiress. Yeah. Like Alejandro's F1 driving career, his tenure as a team owner was not super successful. The first car he built was named Isis after Isabel. It was powered by a 1.5 liter engine gifted by the Maserati brothers. Isis topped out an impressive 150 miles per hour in the 12 hours of Sebring, but none of the five completed cars or its immediate successors ever finished a race due to rampant mechanical problems. This would become a theme in Alejandro's car-making career, but Alejandro's relentless spirit would not be kept down. In the face of racing failure, he decided to follow the path laid out by Enzo Ferrari and turned his attention to road cars. You can't get a freaking car to run for a day. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Ferrari started making road cars to pay for his wildly successful racing team. Yeah, all right. De Tomaso's first commercial vehicle was called the Vallelonga, named after an Italian racetrack. It was a small mid-engine sports car with a 1.6-liter four-cylinder motor borrowed from a Ford Cortina. This is one of my favorite De Tomaso cars, I think. Just, it's cool it's, looking. It's like perfect shape. It's just, it, it's just awesome. It looks incredibly modern. It Yeah, it's aged really well. It looks, yeah. it looks a lot like the new 400Z. It's like a, a more practical Mira. Like if you told me that this was a Lotus designed in 1985, I'd be like, yeah, sure. I believe you. But the Velalunga's most distinctive feature was an unusual backbone-shaped chassis with a central spine-like frame that ran the length of the car. This setup became a De Tomaso signature, as did the American engine and the company's brand new badge. Blue and white stripes reminiscent of the Argentine flag behind black lettering that was based on the De Tomaso family cattle brand. That's sick. They do have a sick logo. Yeah, it's really cool. It also kind of looks like a guy with a cowboy hat bending over. <laughs> he's he's like about to take his hat off and say, Ma- ma'am? Howdy, ma'am. De Tomaso debutted the Vallelunga at the 1963 Turin Motor Show where Alejandro hoped to sell his design to another automaker. But surprisingly, no one was interested. So he hired the Italian coach builder Carrozzeria Ghia on his own, and the Vallelunga went into production in 1965. Thanks in part to the innovative chassis, the Vallelunga weighed only 1,600 pounds, meaning it could get up to 112 miles per hour despite just having 104 horsepower. But that same chassis was imprecisely designed and poorly made, leading to excessive drivetrain vibration and related engine troubles. As a result, only 50 Vallelungas were produced. Nevertheless, the Vallelunga was enough to grab the attention (laughs) of Carroll Shelby, whose Cobra Roadsters have been nominating a popular new racing series called the Canadian American Challenge Cup. But Shelby anticipated new cars from McLaren, Lola, and Lotus for the 1965 K&M season and wanted something more powerful and aerodynamically advanced. So he called De Tommaso and asked if Alejandro could design and build a new chassis for a 427 racing engine. Alejandro agreed, and Shelby ordered six cars for the 1965 season. Plan called for Shelby to produce V8 engines from Ford, Alejandro to engineer the chassis and upgrade the engines, and Shelby's lead designer, Peter Brock, would design the body. But Shelby and Alejandro had disagreements right from the start, including on the name of the car. Alejandro called the project the P70, but Shelby wanted it to be called the King Cobra, which is a way cooler name. Further differences on design, as well as Alejandro's failure to keep the engine fabrication on schedule, led to excessive delays. When it became clear that six cars would not be ready in time for the Can-Am season, Shelby backed out of the project and joined development on the Ford GT40 instead, leaving an angry Alejandro with five partially completed cars. Alejandro decided to show Shelby up, finish the P70 on his own. He once again turned to Gia, this time to finish the design and build a prototype. And build a prototype they did, finishing exactly one car. <laughs> but since the P70 had been built to Can-Am rules, it wasn't legal to run on most, in most European events. When it finally debuted at the 1965 Turin Car Show, it was nothing more than an engineering concept car 
called the Guia de Tommaso Sport 5000. And when the prototype finally raced at the 1966 Mugella Grand Prix, it didn't even finish one lap before it had to retire. Oh, no. Yeah, do you guys uh, take a look at the pictures of this thing? Yeah. This is super it's sick. It's pretty sweet. Ooh. It looks like something you'd see in, like, wacky racers. Yeah, it looks like a, uh, what's that, death? Death race. race. Yeah. Oh, death race, yeah. Yeah, it looks like a cartoon car, but uh-huh. for the for the real speed world. Racer. Yeah, speed racer. Yeah, it literally looks like speed racer. Oh, my God, it's tiny. Oh, my. It is. Do you see that guy sitting yeah. in it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's even funnier. <laughs> it's so small. It looks like one of those cars you see outside of like a grocery store that you put the coins in and have to ride in it. <laughs> Alejandro was undeterred. Following the P-70 disaster and his falling out with Shelby, he turned back to two of his favorite things, Carrozzeria Gia and Dictators. <laughs> This time, he bought the Gia company outright from its owner, Ramfris Trujillo, the son of longtime dictator Rafael Trujillo, who had been exiled from the Dominican Republic following his own brief reign. Among the Gia assets that Alejandro now owned was a new sports car design intended for the Italian company ESO, but never built. It was one of the earliest designs by Ghia's young in-house designer, Giorgetto Giugiaro, who would go on to create the DeLorean and become perhaps the most famous car designer ever, the designer of the century, the only person to win that. He's the, uh, amazing. The Daewoo... Um, <laughs> Lanos. Uh, Lanos, yeah, man. Beautiful car. Yeah, we did a whole episode on this guy if you want to learn more about Jajaro. Let us know if you want a whole episode on the Daewoo Lanos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll do it. Alejandro combined Jajaro's unused design with the chassis from the P70 and called it the Mangusta, which is Italian for mongoose, a.k.a. the only animal that can eat cobras. Ricky Ticky Taffy. <laughs> <laughs> it's an obvious shot at Carol Shelby. I think I'd rather have a Mangusta over a Pantera. You roll up to a car show, car meet with the Mangusta, that's a bigger flex than Pantera. Yeah, I 1,000% agree. I would choose a Mangusta. Again, I mean, this one probably hasn't aged as well, I think, as the um, Vallelunga, but Mm -hmm. it's just it speaks to like a different time. It's like, hey, what did they think the future was going to be like in the late 60s? Yeah, Yeah, it's 1,000% of the time and feels very Jajario. There's no way we... I do love the like the backbone. Oh, that. The spine is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. The Mangusta was much more powerful than its predecessor, the Vallelunga. It featured a Ford 302 V8 under the hood, as well as several features that were ahead of their time, including disc brakes, rack and pinion steering, and power windows. But the main aesthetic highlight was a center-hinged two-section rear hood that opened like gullwing doors, giving it shades of Giugiaro's later work. Ooh. De Tommaso produced 401 Mangustas, 150 for the European market and the rest for North America via a federal waiver for importing cars with small production numbers. The waiver exempted it from numerous safety regulations, so the Mangusta came without important things like seatbelts. Good. (laughs) It also had a very problematic 3268 front rear weight distribution. Oh, wow. that's Hell crazy. Yeah. Understeer yeah. city, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oversteer, snap oversteer. Yeah, definitely. All the weights on the back. But you're going to be understeering because there's no grip on that tire on those tires. Oh, so yeah. Then you're going to be like, oh, I need to slow down. 
I'll take my foot off the gas to let the car rotate. And then yeah, all then, that weight in the back is just going to come right around on you. And then Oof, phrasing. A, a viral video of you rolling off the crest. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that like makes me like it a little less. <laughs> um, yeah, this is strictly a cruise to like Malibu for the car meet and come right back kind of car. Yeah, yeah. We're, not go- we're not even going over Mulholland. Uh, despite um, the obvious uh, stability and handling problems that the weight distribution caused one very influential person loved it talking about the vice president of ford at the time the iacocca iacocca and ford wanted a high performance european style car that could rival the corvette and after failing in an attempt to buy ferrari he convinced henry ford ii aka hank the deuce to buy a 30 percent stake in de tomasa so that ford could build an italian sports car and leverage alejandro's suave playboy image to promote it um it is surprising to me that he works with Ford so much when he's married to the heir to like yeah, yeah to heirs to yeah. GM. It's like there she's funding, you know, this company. Why don't why don't she hit up her uncle or whatever? That's a good yeah, point. It is weird. But you um, know what? I kind of like that they didn't do that. Cuz it's kind of like anti-nepotism in that way. Like it's not like they made their money. Like he's failed at everything he's done. And he's just like able to keep trying to do more stuff nothing that he's doing is based on any sort of merit or like (laughs) (laughs) just pure pure strength of will basically and and just like deep pockets of not even him like it's not even his inheritance he's just like burning his wife's inheritance dude can you imagine trying to start like a car company now like a specialty car company now and doing that yeah it just wouldn't be possible without tons of cash in that same way you know Mm -hmm. the resulting american italian collaboration between ford and de tomaso was called the pantera yeah that band the pantera was a mid-engine v8 supercar that ditched de tomaso's signature steel backbone for a monocoque for a monocoque body it was designed by an American, Tom Charda, after Jojaro left Ghia following a disagreement with Alejandro. It was engineered by Gian Paolo Dallara, who would later become a giant on the F1 circuit. Oh, yeah, dude. He, he designed the Corvette Rondine concept. Oh, yeah. Which is super cool. Under the hood, they stuck a 351 cubic inch naturally aspirated Ford Cleveland V8 tuned to make 326 horsepower rivaling the Ferrari V12s of the day in power. Uh, Ford wanted this thing on the market fast. So after the deal went through in 1971, it took only nine months for the Pantera to appear at Lincoln Mercury dealers across the U.S., priced at $9,000, half of that of a Ferrari, but twice of that of a Corvette. Yeah, I think I remember this from the bumper to bumper where it's like from first design to actual production was only nine months which is not great insane to yeah, think about not as we'll see not the best idea yeah it, no, <laughs> normally it takes like seven years on yeah. average to design a car yeah so initial demand was high but the quick turnaround contributed to shoddy manufacturing at de Tomaso's italian factory hmm Stories trickled out about Panteras that left the factory with exposed steel, not good, and arriving in showrooms with visible rust. 
Consumers were soon complaining about their engines overheating, and mechanics were confused because new <laughs> because no two Panteras seemed to have the same wiring layout. Uh, <laughs> oh, One frustrated owner fired his revolver into the dashboard when his Pantera wouldn't start, and as we know, his name was Elvis Presley. I'm a hunk of burning love. I'm a hunk of burning love. I'm a hunk of hunk of blue suede velvet <laughs> shoes. Rock around, <laughs> rock around my clock tonight. Ooh, ooh, baby. <laughs> uh, Tajara later told reporters that Alejandro was quote always looking towards the next project, the next deal. So he just forgot about the current one and moved on. He would have ten ideas that go on at any one time. And of those, maybe one would become reality. Just a guy with too many fingers and in too many pies. You know what I'm saying? Ew. <laughs> what? The what? That's a gross analogy. All right. Well, it was a no- <laughs> <laughs> kind of ruins pie for me. All right. Well, nothing I can do about it now. <laughs> it was enough that another one of De Tomaso's designers kept a letter of resignation in his pocket to pull out and show Alejandro anytime he was being mistreated. Despite all this uh, tomfoolery and pie business, Ford sold around 6,000 Panteras, making it Datamoso's most successful production car yet. And later models were built with more input from Ford mechanics and better parts, so they eventually became more reliable. But several circumstances converged to put an end to Ford's interest in importing more Panteras. First, in 1973, uh, you know, there's a little thing called the oil crisis, which sent demand for fuel-hungry sports cars plummeting. Then, new federal bumper standards set in 1974 meant that the Pantera would have to be completely redesigned to continue selling in the U.S. Plus, De Tomaso was struggling to deliver all 8,000 cars that Ford originally ordered, and Lincoln Mercury dealers were confused about how to market a car that was so different from any other model they sold. So, in 1975, Ford dropped the Pantera mere months after buying out all of Alejandro's remaining shares in De Tomaso. But in his original contract with Ford, Alejandro inserted a clause retaining the right to produce Panteras for the non-U.S. market. So he quickly bought his company back from Ford for a fraction of the price that they paid (laughs) and continued producing the Pantera at a reduced scale in Europe for the next 20 years. It's a good deal. Damn, this dude, he's a flip, dude, he's a flipper, man. Making those deals happen. Is this about guy his... a dolphin? Yeah, man. <laughs> Slick. Smooth. Because he's a flipper. Yeah, I, I got it. <laughs> Alejandro may have not made very reliable cars, but he definitely had good business sense. He managed to sell De Tomaso, Gia, and another coach builder he owned called Vignale to Ford, and then got paid by Ford to build 8,000 Panteras, and then bought back De Tomaso for pennies on the dollar. Business. If shaky engineering was a de Tomaso trademark, then so was wheeling and dealing. In the 70s, he would become the majority owner of both Benelli and Motor Guzzi, which briefly made him Europe's leading producer of motorcycles. And he also bought the Italian automaker Innocente, or Innocente, where he successfully introduced Italy's version of the Mini Cooper. Uh, it's basically just a Mini Cooper. A Mini Cooper. These deals earned Alejandro the nickname Rischiatuto, or the risk taker in the Italian press. Very cool nickname. Sick nickname! (laughs) (laughs) 
Actually, Pantera, the band's name was Risky Atuto before they went <laughs> wow, with Pantera. That's crazy. But Dimebag da- Dime Daryl was like, no, dude. <laughs> but they merely set the stage for the best deal of his career. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Italian luxury car industry was hit especially hard by the oil crisis with domestic purchases shrinking by 60 to 70%. That's insane. Mm. Amongst the big names, Maserati was hit the hardest as Italian sales accounted for over half of their business compared to just 20% for Ferrari. So, in 1975, the Italian government recruited Alejandro to save Maserati from bankruptcy. Alejandro paid 90,000 lira to buy 30% of Maserati from Citroën, while the Italian government bought the other 70% in an attempt to prevent Maserati's 900 workers from losing their jobs. That 90,000 lira exchanged for about 150 U.S. dollars at the time. Wow. Wow. Or about $700 today. So he bought a big chunk of a car company for 700 bucks. So that means Maserati's value was like $2,200? Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Alejandro's strategy as CEO was to transition Maserati from ultra exotics to higher volume cars. But first... He went behind the Italian government's back and fired half the company's staff. Cool. Cool strategy. <laughs> Meanwhile, Alejandro's namesake company kept making cars, but they were never exported to the U.S. First came the DeVille, a luxury sports quattroporte designed to compete with the Jaguar XJ. 
It's all right looking. Oh, it does look like an XJ. Yeah, it's Divinity. fine. I don't really like it, but yeah, it is very XJ-ish. I like the headlights a lot. It's kind of it's kind of just like frumpy. Datamasa produced 244 of them between 1970 and 1985. Shortly after that, they introduced the Long Champ. Cool. A two-door Grand Tour based on the Duville. It's way cooler in my opinion. I love the Long Champ. Long Champ. Yeah, this thing is... I love the wide body. Yeah, yeah this thing's cool. This thing's really cool. It looks I like would, a Fox Body Mustang. It does. It's got very. It's got yeah. notchback Fox Body cues. It's just cool. And I'm looking, also man. getting. Yeah, man. I'm getting those like '80s Mercedes yeah. uh-huh. yeah. coupes. Yeah. for sure. Vibes for from sure. it. Yeah, I would definitely drive one of these. these yeah, are cool. Dude, if you showed up to yeah. freaking Deus with one of these at one of their Dude. meets, <laughs> everyone in in their eighty dollar hats would be so stoked. All those influencers would try to get pictures of it with their white wolf standing in front of it <laughs> dude i gotta get one of these long chomps these are sick both the long chomp and the deville were named after french horse racing tracks because isabel had shifted her primary interest from auto racing to thoroughbred breeding this is the richest woman <laughs> ever <laughs> by the way uh so long champs for sale uh Start at like eighty thousand oh, dollars. Where where are you finding it? <laughs> uh, this is on classicdriver.com. But what I love about these is that they put like the Pantera style wheels on it. It just looks so cool. Like eighty grand for one of these, you know they're not yeah. very good. Yeah. Um and that like I can't afford an eighty thousand dollar car, but I like to think that I will be able to in my yeah. life. And this won't be it. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if that's one of them. However, if you show up to some hoity-toity car meet, like the one in San Marino, uh, or even like, I don't know, Pebble Beach, yeah, people know, people will be like, okay, this guy, people who know will know, you know? Yeah. Despite Alejandro's ex- insistence that Maserati and De Tomaso would remain separate companies, both of these models became the basis for Alejandro's first cars at Maserati. The Maserati Kayalami which means a sausage, <laughs> I assume. Uh, it's a, right. a Kyalami is a sausage with Monster Energy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a Grand Tour derived from the Longchamp, while the Quattroporte 3 was designed once again by Giorgetto Giugiaro based on the Duville. Uh, the Maserati versions borrowed the chassis and design elements from De Tommaso, but replaced De Tommaso's Ford engines with engines made by Maserati in-house, i.e. they broke. In the early 1980s, Maserati introduced the Bi-Turbo, which became the most successful car of Alejandro's tenure. They came with really cool wheels. People put them on old Volkswagens all the time. As a front-engine rear-drive coupe, the Bi-Turbo was a departure from Maserati's typical mid-engine sports car. But its twin-turbocharged V6 engine gave it plenty of giddy-up and eventually 40,000 were sold. In 1984, Alejandro managed to wring a few more bucks out of the old Mark. His old friend, Lee Iacocca, <laughs> had moved from Ford to Chrysler and decided that Chrysler should buy a 15% share in Maserati to produce a European sports car for the American market. Did you? Does that plan sound familiar? If it does, it's because he tried to do this back uh, at Ford. The result was the Chrysler TC by Maserati which Iacocas told reporters would be the prettiest t- Italian to arrive in the United States since his mother immigrated. 
Love that. That's fuck. That's so. That's so Iacocca. All the journalists were like, "Oh yeah, Lee yeah. Iacocca's mom. I remember her. She was yeah. hot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all us Detroit journalists were there at Ellis Island yeah, when Lee Iacocca's mom showed up, and we were like, "Oh man, like, ooh, bada boom, bada bing, baby." Well, she looks like a car, but like a pretty car. <laughs> I can't wait until there's a car prettier than her, eh? Yeah. All this right. Is, this is going to be the prettiest Italian to show up in America since my own mother immigrated. Like, it's so great. It's so Iacocca. Unfortunately, the TC, short for turbo convertible, was much less cooler than Pantera and probably much less pretty than Lee Iacocca's snack of a mom. Auto-journalists at the time said the idea of combining a Chrysler engine with a Maserati body was like taking the worst part from each partner. And they were right. (laughs) The TC by Maserati was introduced at the 1986 Los Angeles Auto Show, ostensibly to become a 1987 model. But as with so many of Alejandro's projects, there were production troubles, so it didn't actually appear on the market until 1989, the year that uh, Taylor Swift was born. At that point, Chrysler had already introduced the similarly styled and less expensive LeBaron convertible, which cannibalized TC sales. Great strategy right there, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Let's put two cars in the same class. One of them is half the price and not engineered by Maserati and see what happens. Despite internal expectations that Chrysler would sell five to 10,000 TCs annually, the collaboration sold poorly and was discontinued after just 7,300 were produced. The TC cost Chrysler close to $600 million to develop and produce, meaning they spent about 80,000 for every car that was completed. Oh my God. Each TC only sold for 33,000. It was yet another deal from which Alejandro seemed to be the only one to profit. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, flip it, baby. Alejandro's business sense stayed with him until the very end. In 1989, he bought out the Italian government, 70% stake in Maserati, then quickly turned around and sold 49% of the company to Fiat. I love this guy. Dude, boom, flip it. Ben Kissel, shout out. Boom, flip it. That's right. Flip it, baby. In 1993, Fiat bought the rest, and Alejandro returned his focus to De Tomaso. That same year, De Tomaso introduced the Guara which would be the first model created by Alejandro. The Guara revived De Tomaso's signature backbone chassis paired with a 3.9 liter BMW M60 naturally aspirated B8 engine. It was initially supposed to be a street legal variant of the Maserati Barchetta track car, but after Fiat bought Maserati, the company discontinued the Barchetta. So Alejandro took the design and manufactured 52 cars at his own company. 10 open chop Barchettas and four convertible Spiders and 38 pays it looks like it looks like if an mr2 and a bugatti eb 110 had a baby i will say yeah the back is very eb 110 ish and then the front is like c5 corvette yeah 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 or mr2 yeah very c5 or corvette it's i don't love it i think it'd be fun to drive me neither but uh it's something i think this is just a time for car design that i just don't (laughs) with you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that like early 90s futurism. Mm-hmm. Just like yeah. everything's so round. Yeah. We'll get back to more past guests. But right now, a word from our sponsors. 
Do you follow automotive news or do you just like cars and want to see what the heck's going on? Well, then you might like Donut Media's new podcast, The Big Three. Hi, I'm James Pumphrey. And every week, me and my co-host slash two of my top five friends, Nolan Sykes and Joe Weber, unpack the latest and greatest in automotive news and trends on The Big Three. You'll also get a lot of laughs, hot takes, and personal insight on cars from the biggest car guys in automotive media. So, whether you're a hardcore enthusiast or just a person who goes, up, that's a good-looking car, <laughs> check out The Big Three, available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can watch the full videos at Donut Podcasts on YouTube. Late in 1993, Alejandro suffered a stroke and retired, leaving De Tomaso in the control of his son from his first marriage, Santiago. Mm. And though he lived a relatively quiet life after his illness, he wasn't done crossing paths with fame. His closest companion at the stroke recovery clinic was legendary Italian director Federico Fellini. Oh, yeah, we, are. Yeah, we know that guy. Alejandro passed away in 2003 from heart failure, but the De Tomaso legacy lives on. There may not be a ton of De Tomaso cars in existence, but that hasn't stopped the company from growing a dedicated collection of enthusiasts who love their signature combination of Italian styling and big American V8. A Pantera in good condition today sells for around $100,000 on the used market, while a Mangusta with just 9,000 miles on it recently went for $300,000. Alejandro is probably looking down laughing that people still pay too much for his crappy cars. <laughs> 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 As further proof that De Tommaso holds a special place in the hearts of car fans, in 2019, a reconstituted version of the company announced its first car in nearly three decades to great excitement. Now owned by the same Hong Kong-based company that recently developed the very awesome Apollo Intensa Emozione, a brand new prototype called the P72, debuted at the 2019 Goodwood Festival of Speed for De Tommaso's 60th birthday. The body is based on Alejandro's P70 collaboration with Carol Shelby. And a 5-liter supercharged Ford yeah. Coyote V8 will get the P72 to 750 horses and a top speed of 221 miles per hour. De Tommaso plans to build 72 of their new supercar at a market price of around $875,000. So while it may carry Alejandro's trademark badge, will hopefully be a step up in his trademark craftsmanship, or lack thereof. What is the legacy of Alejandro de Tommaso? Was he a constant revolutionary or a constant failure? A genius or a con man that spent all of his wife's <laughs> money? The truth is probably all of the above. He endured or caused disappointment after disappointment, but managed to become an automotive legend in spite of all of that. He saved Maserati with 150 bucks. And remember that hotel that kicked him out when he was broke? The one he promised to buy someday, he bought it and his family still owns it. So maybe the legacy of Alejandro de Tommaso is this. If you have a dream, go after it. If you work hard enough and or get lucky enough or marry someone <laughs> rich enough, maybe you'll achieve it. And then maybe Elvis will shoot your dream with a gun. Hold on, burn in love. There's a hold burn in love. Toot toot with a two, and that guy's over there, and the chef is playing the sneeze. Yeah, great lesson uh, for all the listeners. No, man, I mean, that just speaks to the testament of just kind of like, I think a lot of people throughout history have like faked it until they made it, you know? I think this is like an example of like having that philosophy and mindset and doing it correctly in a way. 
because even though maybe his business practices weren't the best, the end product is still yeah, pretty and, cool. And a lot of rich people do really boring things with their money. Like at least he was wasting it on cool, fun projects that didn't go anywhere. That's a fun, that's a fair point. Yeah, I'll take that. Thank you so much for listening to Pass Gas. Rate us, give this video a like, give the podcast a like on the preferred listening platform of your choice. Follow James Pumphrey on all social media at James Pumphrey. Follow Joe Weber at Joe Weber and follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Keep your eye on the Donut Podcast Network. We got some new ideas brewing, uh, so you're not going to want to miss those. And rest in peace, Alejandro. I love you. Peace. Be kind. Keep it juiced. See you next time. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.